Thank you for tuning in to Carbondale Historical Society's podcast. This episode is part of our This I Remember audio archive. This archive are interviews conducted in the 1980s and 90s by Mary Ferguson, a longtime resident of Carbondale, born in Spring Gulch. These interviews aired on Katie and Kay and were recently donated to the Historical Society by Mary's descendants. The Historical Society wants to thank Katie and Kay, Seven Stars Rebecca Lodge Number 91, Alpine Bank and Meredith and Dan Bullock Ferguson's family, as well as the many other donors and volunteers who came together to save these tapes and make them forever available to our Carbondale community. Enjoy. This, I remember Mary Ferguson, KDNK, community-sponsored radio in Carbondale. Tonight, I have two guests, two sisters who lived here. One still lives here, but they both lived here a long time ago. I have Alice Boyd Turner and her sister, Catherine Boyd Pyle. Their parents came here a long time ago. In fact, they came with the Missouri Colony Group and settled in this area. Mr. Boyd, the father, was a very active, community-minded Carbondale resident. He acted as uh, the Justice of Peace for many years. And since he lived right close to us, we knew the kids and Mr. and Mrs. Boyd very well. Mrs. Boyd was a dentist. And as kids, do you remember, did it hurt when she worked on your teeth? She didn't get all the work on very much. About all she got to do was pull them because she couldn't move nerve things. And we just had her pull, but we never got her do much else. <laughs> That's, that'd be quite painful, wouldn't it? Just pulling a tooth like that? Yeah. But then that's the way we did it. Tooth were, was about ready to come out anyway. Tell us something about your parents, Catherine or Alice. Dad was his music. He liked music and he was quite a bass singer. And uh, I remember one time especially, the church put on an operetta. It was a Mexican operetta and he was a bandito and he had a sombrero and he carried a pistole on his hip and the whole thing was done in music. I wish I could remember the cast. I know uh, their names would be familiar now to you, but I do remember that Mrs. Keeper, she was either the director or uh, in the play, but I know she kept him in line. He'd come home some nights, it's just not going any good at all. I'm afraid we made a mistake, and the next time he'd be on top of the world, and the night it was put over, it was premium. They had the time of their life, and everybody in town talked about it for weeks, and I have the complete script for that if anyone would be interested in oh, it. I still have it. that would be great. I'd like to read it sometime. His, his music was the thing I remember. He had a bass voice that would make the rafters ring. And I think that's one of the things I remember the best about him. Do either of you sing? I don't, but Alice did. She used to before she was a little older, you know, your voice breaks. And, but uh, Olive was our musician, my youngest sister. She sang beautifully with him. I remember putting all of us in our uh, 
programs at Missouri Heights when I was teaching there, and she was a student, and she always had a lead of some kind yeah. because she was very capable and very, um, well, I was scared and she wasn't. <laughs> so She was real talented. She was a real musician. She could play almost any instrument. Uh, I remember a little incident about her now. The school was going to Grand Junction for the for the contest, and uh, I remember uh, Billy Wickman was the drum player, drummer, and he got sick just about the time they were ready to go. And the night before, he brought his drums up, and he gave her a crash course on drums. And she went down there, and they marched, and she played those drums, and they got an A1 rating, <laughs> and I was well, so proud of her. It's, it's amazing what you can do under stress, something that you don't think you can do when it's right on the line you can do it and uh, Alice I've known you for a long long time your husband is interested in rocks so is my brother John and I remember one time he got a letter that was addressed to John the Rockhound <laughs> and he got it our post office wasn't the post office that we have today and I think Billy Pings was our postmaster, and he would hand deliver a letter if he thought it was important. He hand delivered some of my chicks one time. He said he'd water them, but he couldn't feed them. So. Yes, my husband is a rock hound, and he loves to work with rocks. But uh, as talking about my father, I can remember that the fire. Uh, Fourth of July firework demonstrations. Every year he had saved up all year long his money so that he could buy a big box of fireworks and he would put them under the bed until the night of the fourth. And then he would get them out and the whole neighborhood would come and watch that display of fireworks and they counted on it every year. And then at Christmas time we had <coughs> the large fir tree in our backyard and he always decorated it with lights. And it, at the very last, it was so big that he had to get a ladder and then a big long pole in order to reach the top of the tree. And that tree, every year, was a symbol to the neighborhood with its Christmas tree lights, and everyone looked for that. And then he was justice of peace for a long time in Carbondale. And I remember one night, there was a young couple that came dashing in just at supper time saying, they wanted to get married, and would he perform the ceremony? So he had us all stand around and be an audience and witnesses to that wedding at, uh, in our home that night. That would be exciting. <laughs> uh, at that time, Sopris Avenue wasn't a through street. Hmm. It was a dirt trail, and uh, the Boyd House was on Sopris Avenue, or what is Sopris Avenue now. And uh, since we lived on Euclid, the next block, we remember the Christmas lights and the fireworks. And if I remember correctly, the town didn't have fireworks as they have it now, but it was Mr. Boyd having fireworks. And uh, I remember that since he was a justice of peace, why his, his station in Carbonell was very important. 
because at that time we did not have the city government that we have now. When he bought this place uh, out there on Sopris Avenue, we were in the suburbs. And now, we're back to the city limits. At one time, our house there on the corner of uh, 7th and Euclid was the last house in town, although the Boyd House was there. But they weren't in town, and we were. And there are hundreds of houses there now. It's absolutely amazing if they could come back and and see what what is in their backyard, the clinic and uh, the highway, everything of that kind. I think they would turn around and go back where they are. Ray Weimer's pasture was at the end of the street there, and he always had it full of horses. And he was the mailman, and he would use those horses to pull his his uh, mail cart uh, all around the country. And so he was a, a noted uh, uh, Colorado or Carbondale celebrity too. Everyone knew Ray Wimmer and his mail route. My youngest son, at that time, my youngest son was very, very fond of Ray. And Ray had no children. So he would take Norrin with him on the mail route. And many times when Lauren didn't come home from school, I would wonder where in the world he was. And he would be over there sitting on the fence watching Ray Wimmer take care of his horses. And that was, well, that block now is full of houses. And uh, can you remember other activities that he might have uh, have taken part in in his his early days. I like I say before, his music always was the highlight of my life, and I do remember that uh, he and another little man that was irrigated for the. Uh, was that Billy Wilson? No, it was uh, Mr. Hawk. Oh yes. And he always Mr. wore Hawk. rubber boots everywhere he went because he was an irrigator, and he would come down to the house about three times a week, and he and Dad would practice the hymns. And he had the sweetest tenor voice I have ever heard, and Dad had the greatest booming bass voice. And to hear them, I think I probably got more, more pleasure and heard more real music than I've ever heard again, or maybe it was just because I was young. But I thought it was great. Maybe it's because you weren't a rock and roll <laughs> enthusiast either. Well, he was. He did play a cornet, and he was in the Spanish-American War. And when the war was over, and they brought the soldiers all home, they he his outfit played for the president at that time, and he was solo cornetist at that. Celebration. Philip Sousa. That Philip, Philip, Philip Sousa directed the band that day. That's quite an honor to be in a yeah. band of that kind. Uh, Mr. Boyd was very, uh, well, he reminded me of what I think a judge looks like and talks like. And uh, he was very, uh, very authoritative. And dignified. And dignified. He was so dignified. 
and um, you know when my father passed away and we had to have some um, legal deed work done Mr. Boyd as the Justice of Peace and I think a notary public at that time took care of our deed and that was way back when. I don't know if you remember it or not but after he uh, wasn't Justice of the Peace anymore he kept books for John Lambert Gas Company. Yes, my brother was now the uh, telephone. Was the bookkeeper. The telephone office is where my brother's station used to be, the Conoco Station. And uh, that was. Uh, Mr. Boyd had quite a time because when he made out papers for my dad, it was John Lambert Sr. And when he did books for my brother, it was John Lambert Jr. And one time he got mixed up, and he had this, the junior where the senior should have been, but it was corrected before it was filed. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, he was quite a character in this town. And your mother was so kind, and all the kids loved her. My mother was the foundation of any religion and any faith that any of us had. She was our foundation. She believed in God and she believed in love and she believed in turning the other cheek and the foundation of, of our religious life was my mother. Isn't that a wonderful And tribute. I am so glad that I can say that because of, I see so many people that just don't have that foundation and we had a good, firm, strong foundation and it was up to us to build on it. You had uh, all of the two of you Alice, Catherine, Olive, and then Jimmy and Ben. Yes. That's the size of your family. And, uh, as far as Carbondale, uh, my remembering the town, I uh, I wasn't in Carbondale as much as Olive and Alice. They came and uh, rented a little a house for Mrs. Gould, and uh, they went to school, those three did, and I stayed home on the ranch. And then later... Alice went to school, and then later Olive went to high school, but I never went to school in Carbondale. I was almost a stranger. My visits once a week for groceries with Dad was about all I knew about Carbondale, and as far as any uh, history of the town itself, I just don't know much about it. All I know is our family life. Yes. Well, where do you live now? I live in Fleming, Colorado. That's Fleming. the northeast part of the state. Our county seat is Sterling. Most people know where it is. Yes. Clear in the northeast part of the state. I'm just here for a little visit, and I might tell you that I was shocked no end when I drove into town this time and saw Cowan's Corner. I can't believe that that is Gracie Cowan's Corner. Well, well you'll see more changes there yet because uh, this town, wherever there's a spot, somebody is building something. And it rather frightens me when the mine closed because we have several mine families living in Carbondale. But we'll wait and see and hope for the best. So, but uh, I remember, uh, wasn't your house used as um, a fire experiment? Can you tell us yes, about that? Uh, that was after my husband and I bought it we uh, decided that we would build there. Well, we wanted to, it was an old house. They told us it was 80 years old, I think, when we when we bought it. 
and we thought it was a historical marker, and we wanted to just uh, rejuvenate it and make it the little log cabin that it was. And the town didn't want that at all. They wouldn't give us a permit. So we decided we had to tear it down. And my, it was going to cost quite a bit. The dump was charging for the stuff and the place to put you, the things you put in the dump. And so my husband went to the fire department and asked them if he could make a deal. Would they burn it down for us? And so they used that and they came in. We took all the hardware off that we wanted and everything. And they came over at four o'clock. They waited two or three days because they were waiting for the weather, no wind. And finally they came over there with that big fire engine and they lighted it on fire. And then they put on their gas masks and their uniforms and went in that burning building to try to put out that fire. In fact, they did put it out and had to start it over again. They did such a good job. <laughs> the second time they went in and started it, they couldn't put it out. But they did try, and they sure practiced on that old house. Well, I remember when they were doing that, I can remember the fire. And it was so exciting to see to see it burn. And yet it was, it was very sad to see yes. it burn down. Oh, yes. It was. Uh, a funny incident happened. That night after they had all burned down, we had taken an old couch out of the house and set it in the yard. And after it was all burned down, why, uh, uh, my husband told him, he said, now we will stay and watch the embers so the wind don't blow them away. So we were sitting there on that couch kind of watching the embers and talking and a car pulled up and they said, is there anything we can do for you? <laughs> we had just been burned out. People are funny. <laughs> but uh, as I say, I remember the fire. Now, on that very same corner, not too long ago, there was another, wasn't a fire, but it was more exciting, and perhaps not more exciting, when the gas uh, blew up over there. And it moved the house that's built on that spot off its foundation. Yes. And of course, Suzerine Bond's house was simply destroyed. And Caddy Corner across the street. Across thing. the street. And of course, that was right back of our block. So we weren't allowed to go over there. And uh, my sister Paula had to stay with me because they wouldn't let her stay in her own house because they didn't know what was going to happen. We had the house rented. It was our house that blew up. And uh, we had the house rented to my nephew. And there was nobody home then. But uh, my nephew called home to talk to his wife, and he, it rang and rang, and finally it crashed to the floor. And he thought something had happened, and he jumped in the car down here in his office, and he hurried home as fast as he could. His wife, in the meantime, had gone, so she wasn't there. And he opened the door, and the cat shot out there like he had, a, oh. he had been in, and he didn't come back for three days. Isn't it funny how I can think of something funny for everything that happened to us? <laughs> Well, that, that's what keeps you young. <laughs> Something happened, funny happened to me one time. I was coming home from Denver on the bus. And I got on the bus, and the bus driver, I didn't see his face. But I sat right behind him, and I thought, I know, I know that boy. And I kept looking at him, and I thought he'd turn around, I thought he'd look up in the mirror so I could see him, and I didn't want to tap him on the shoulder. But anyway, when I got off the bus in Glenwood Springs, I said, are you Bobby Bellum? And he says, yes, Mrs. Ferguson, I am. 
but I knew the back of his head because I saw it in school day after day after day. And that's yes, my son. That was your son. <laughs> and so he was driving the bus. Is he still driving the bus? Yes. He has a route from Grand Junction to Pueblo now. Oh. So that's quite a drive. He drove the trailway bus for um, quite a while. And now the trail, uh, Greyhound has taken over trailway and he tra transferred over with him. So now he drives a Greyhound bus. Well, that, as I say, I, I knew. He had grown up and all, but I still knew because I had seen him in school. He played they, with your boys too an oh awful yes, lot because yes, he grew up right grew there. Up with our kids. Mm -hmm. so, but uh, there, uh, kids go up and go away. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Alice, your husband has um, some um, rock specimens at the Smithsonian, right? Yes, we have three different display, uh, three different rocks on display at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. or in Maryland, Washington. <laughs> but uh, one of them is a is a large dinosaur cab that uh, years ago, when they asked for for some cabs from each state to put on the cake for. Uh, one of the president's wives, we sent one, and uh, they wrote back and said they had never had one of that type before, and they were really pleased with it. And uh, so we have we have rocks in our yard and in our house, and my husband makes jewelry all the time. He makes it. We do our own silversmithing and our own lapidary, and uh, we do stained glass and several different things. One interesting thing that you have is the map of the United States over your fireplace. Can you tell us something about that? Well, the whole fireplace is made of rocks, but yes. right in the center, but at the top of, on the top, he has left left a space open, and he made a a map of the United States. It isn't every rock from every state uh, from the state because we hadn't been back east and gotten any there, but most of them, the western states are of the rock that, that we have gathered from that state. It is very interesting that uh, it is, uh, well, that it's rocks of each state. And then uh, I think, uh, uh, was that uh, Lady Bird Johnson that asked him to uh, Provide a rock for some yes. special event for her. Yes, mm -hmm. <coughs> we have a <coughs> great big amethyst crystal that uh, is uh, was brought to us from Africa by the Lowe's when he was uh, the <coughs> ambassador to the United States in Africa. And when they came back, they brought this big amethyst crystal and gave it to us. And uh, Mrs. Winters, one of the one of the uh, women at the at the museum, said that they had never had a crystal like that in their collection, and we gave it to them, and they took it and put it in the museum for us. And we got letters back from all of those rocks and everything, thanking us for them. Well, that's fine. We have a spot in the Smithsonian. 
you have been listening to Alice Boyd Turner and Catherine Boyd Pyle on this I remember and I've jotted down a lot of questions that I haven't had time to ask them yet so I will do that at another time this I remember Mary Ferguson Thank you for listening to another fantastic installment of This I Remember by Mary Ferguson. For the full archive of all of the episodes, please visit CarbondaleHistory.org. If you would like to be able to search through the entire transcription library of all of her episodes, please email info at CarbondaleHistory.org. Thanks so much. Stay tuned. Subscribe.